From the Alex Trebek stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is Inside Jeopardy! Hello and welcome back to Inside Jeopardy, your exclusive and official podcast destination for all things happening in the world of Jeopardy. I'm Sarah Foss and today I'm joined by 21-game Jeopardy super champion Chris Panulo. Chris, welcome to the pod. It is wonderful to be here. Thank you for that exceptional introduction. What's it like to hear that? Does it ever get old? 21-game champion? That's probably the first time I've heard it since you announced it to me uh, (laughs) in our last discussion after my last game, but it feels good every single time I hear it. I don't hear it too much at home. Heather's not often just bandying it about. Usually it's me that's saying it to Heather, saying, hey, 21-game champion here. A little respect. Just a little. I'd need a little bit. So what's life been like since you left the Alex Trebek stage? Life has been very much back to normal. Like same job, same house, same Heather, same lentils, same routine. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I'm glad lentils is still Yeah, she's well. still with us. She's 11, so she's an old rabbit. She just does a lot of sleeping, so I, uh, I envy her. Um, but yeah, people talk about how they get recognized after their game, and that hasn't been my experience that much. I've been recognized in the year since I taped just about uh, six times in public, which is That's it? yeah, only six times. So I think maybe because I look kind of like everyone else in New Jersey, I sort of blend in. I'm <laughs> usually wearing cargo shorts and a t-shirt, and not what I'm wearing on uh, the Jeopardy stage. So it's good. Everyone who's approached me has been super considerate and polite and complimentary. So the little brushes of fame that I do get have been nice. The six occurrences have been the good six ones. brushes with fame. Yeah. <laughs> Do they like to quiz you in those six times? I know Ken would always talk about, you know, people would practically come out of the woods when he'd be at a lake to be quizzing him on some, you know, perfect trivia question. They have not. They usually ask first if I'm the guy from Jeopardy. And then they just say, you know, congratulations. It it was a lot of fun to watch. Thank you for representing New Jersey. I guess you have to get to the 70 game mark before they start Mm. quizzing you on things. Mm. So, yeah. (laughs) So I want to know what your Jeopardy journey was like when you first decided, you know what, I think I should try out and and how that looked. Did you try out more than once? How did it all go down for you? I've been trying out for a solid decade or so, uh, seven or eight times on and off um, prior to the anytime test. If you missed the test, you had to wait a year. And there were a couple (laughs) times where I just missed it. I actually got the call two years ago. And I was out of the country and I had to turn it down. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, man, it was like a crushing. But I, I was like, all right, well, maybe in a year, maybe soon they'll, they'll call me back. At least I know I'm on their radar. And then in my, I think, 17th month of eligibility, right before I was about to fall off, I got the call again. And I think maybe you can check on this. The week I was supposed to tape originally was Amy Schneider and Andrew He's tape date. Wow. I'm, so I'm like 80% maybe sure that that's the case. luck was on your side. I guess so. Something was on my side. But yeah, I, I told that to Andrew when we were taping Masters. And yeah, it's a real sliding doors moment. Life has so many of those. And we hear it so often for Jeopardy! champions. You know, I talked about back when James Holtzauer was playing. And you probably know if there's another person with the same first name as you, they have the option of going by a nickname or coming back and playing at a different time. We did have a James who made that choice. So, you know, you never know. When is the best time, the most optimal time to come to the Alex Trebek stage? But certainly 
the second time you got the call was the charm for you. When you first arrived and, you know, you go on the stage for the first time, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind? Well, that entire day, I was watching David Sibley just mow down (laughs) all of his opponents. And for the last game, there were three of us there. And two of us would have to play David and one would get to go back to the hotel and rest and eat breakfast and come back. (laughs) And hopefully David would not be there. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess fortunately in hindsight, I got the call and I had to go up against David. And by the skin of my teeth, I managed to pull out a a runaway and was very fortunate to, to win against two really good opponents in David and Pam. And, and then I was off to the races. And that is hard to play your first game in that fifth game because, like you mentioned, one, it's a long day. You've been there for hours. And then, two, you can't help but get in your head when you're watching a champion kind of get into their streak, get their rhythm on the buzzer, and you're thinking, I don't want to come in right now. They're hot. I haven't played yet. But yet you pulled off a runaway. So that had to feel... Not that that moment of becoming a Jeopardy! champion for the first time isn't excellent on its own, but the way that it happened for you had to be particularly rewarding. Yeah, it was incredible. And Heather, I've been with Heather for 12 years, and she said, after I called her, we had a video call, that it was the happiest (laughs) she's ever seen me. And so I think that's saying a lot. Just such an endorphin release after that game, just waiting all day and waiting and waiting. And then you have 20 minutes to, you know, your entire, like, (laughs) life has been leading to this moment and it it actually worked out and man what a dream well I love that you said that Heather said it was the happiest she's ever seen you because if there's one thing we learned about you over your run is that you didn't show a lot of emotion you told me you were having fun but I didn't necessarily (laughs) know that if you didn't tell me Yeah, I think after my second game, Megan, one of the contestant producers, came up to me and she's like, you know, we, we read your application. We know you're really funny. It's OK if you want to show that. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, man, I must really be coming across as standoffish on camera <laughs> if she has to say that to me. So I tried to loosen up a little bit. It's tough, like, because you're trying to compete and you're trying to be in that moment and just focus on the board. And then you're inside your head. And there are so many things to think about that cracking jokes and being convivial is is like fifth or sixth on the list. So I wouldn't change anything if I could, except for maybe winning a few more games. Well, there's that. But you did end up, you know, our biggest champion of season 39. We had come off of season 38. Everyone wonders, you know, what was in the water for season 38? So many of these ultra super champions. And then, you know, at the start of the season, you come along and it really feels like it's going to be more of the same. But as we would come to know for the rest of season 39, you really were our biggest champion. Yeah, it's a strange world to live in where winning 21 games was sort of seen as normal and the continuation (laughs) of normal. But I think maybe we're sliding back into the pre-season 38 world where Winning 10 games is really, really hard. And Mm -hmm. even winning five, like there's a reason that the threshold for the Tournament of Champions is five games, because it's incredibly difficult to go up against 10 people and to beat them all in a row and being able to manage all of the different boards and stay confident on the buzzer, be on your feet for eight hours. It's incredibly difficult. At the end of each day, I was completely spent and then I didn't sleep well either. So back to the studio the next day. And yeah, 20, 20 games is incredible, but five games is also incredible. I think just what you said, it really said a lot about just 
how hard it is to excel at this game and all the circumstances, you know, so many things have to kind of come into play for a run to get strung together. And not that it's luck, I'm not saying that, but just there are a lot of moments that have to kind of work out, you know, whether it's a daily double, knowledge in a final Jeopardy competition, there's just so many variables that go into each and every Jeopardy game. So you leave us after your 11th game, you know, we're gonna take a little break, you head out on August 10th, obviously your shows hadn't aired yet, but then we tape Second Chance and we tape the Tournament of Champions and you're basically home for two months, which really, never happens you know we always talk about jeopardy production time and jeopardy airtime to have that big of a gap it's unusual and it's so unusual that it's very rare for a contestant other than ken jennings to see their episodes start airing while they are set to return to play talk me through what that parallel universe was like for you it was very strange because most people, when their games start airing, they know how it ends. So I wasn't sure how to act with my friends because <laughs> I could have I could have been an 11-game champion, or I could have been a 12-game champion, or I could have been a 50-game champion. I knew it was going to be good regardless. Like 11 <laughs> games had far exceeded my expectations, but it was very strange. One benefit I did have was being able to see how I had played. I was able to sort of fine-tune a bit of my strategy and see, oh, I might not be quite as good as James Holtzauer, but I can play a similar system and I can make some adjustments and be a little bit better. I had that going for me. I was able to maybe make a few little adjustments and, and improve my game, which most people do not get to do. Yeah, that's interesting. And what had been your process from when you got the call to when you first appeared? What was your preparation? Did you go into you know, heavy prep mode, or did you just kind of trust you knew what you knew? What did that look like for you? I was pretty heavy into flashcards for the majority of the, the 18 months I was on the uh, on the list. And when I got the call, I just like dove into it fully, just a couple of hours a day. I was having trouble sleeping because I was so excited for it. So I'd wake up <laughs> at 4 a.m. and just lying in bed, go for flashcards <laughs> for a couple of hours. And that insomnia, I think, probably um, ended up being a little bit beneficial, even if it took a year or two off of my life. Now, did Heather ever help you with the flashcards and studying, or was that kind of something you did on your own? No, I'll, I'll, I just let her sleep. It, it's <laughs> something that I, I would do it on my own. I would take a walk and just sit on a bench, or I would do it at the gym. Um, just any time I had, you know, a few minutes. It wasn't all like with the exception of uh, when I couldn't sleep. It was just like sort of piecemeal. Anytime I could get a couple of minutes, I would do it. And I did not want to bother Heather with it. That's a nice partner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's probably a good thing for your relationship. Now, you had alluded that you were a former poker player. And that is a profession that has come up in a lot of our, you know, in a lot, I won't say a lot, but in more than one of our great champions what do you attribute that to? Or is there something that, you know, some connective tissue to being good at poker and good at Jeopardy? I just think that it allows you to think strategically about the game a little bit more. It's not just answers and questions. It's also where do you attack the board? How much do you bet? Where do you get your edges? You don't have too many edges in Jeopardy outside of knowing the answers, but there are some. And if you can find the daily doubles, if you can keep control of the board, then you can take you know, what might be a 30% edge and make it 35%. And that might not sound big, but it could be the difference between winning you know, 21 games versus you know, 17. And did you have a goal for yourself coming in? Did you have a benchmark? Like, I want to make it to the TOC, or I just want to be a champion, or I 
just want to make it to final. Like, what was kind of your personal benchmark? My personal benchmark was just to play well. So to make big wagers when I knew I had to make them, to find the daily doubles. And if you don't know the answer, if you don't know something, you can't really control that. You can't control what the questions are, what the answers are. All you can control is how you're playing. So I just wanted to make sure that I was playing the way I knew I could. And if things went well, they went well. And if not, then at least I gave myself a chance to succeed. That was all I really wanted. And then after that first game, everything else was just gravy. Well, in terms of your approach, you know, you really did come in a little Holtz-Howerian-like with those big daily double wagers. You know, I think you can think you're going to do that heading in, but actually being up on that stage and being able to have the chance to, to win or lose money that quickly, were you surprised or was it like, yep, this is just how I thought it would be and I'm, I'm ready to put it all out there? It was just like how I thought it would be going over old games and, you know, sort of train. I, I would train a little bit, go through old situations and see, all right, what's the best bet size in this particular situation? And it's almost always a lot. There are very few situations where you should be betting small amounts in Jeopardy. There are some uh, in strategic situations, but, you know, just having trained myself and knowing, okay, these are the bets I have to make in the times that I need to make them. And so when I was up there, I don't remember much from being up there. So it was just, <laughs> you know, second nature at that point. I had, I had gotten myself into a state of mind where I knew generally the right bets to make. And if there's any regrets I have, there were plenty of times I didn't bet as much as I should have. And I was a little bit too conservative, if that tells you anything about how Jeopardy should probably be played. Interesting. I have to ask, as one of five siblings, has it changed? You know, do you get any more respect in the family now? Do you get a little more ribbing from your siblings? What's it like to be in your family now that you're this big Jeopardy champion? It's exactly the same. <laughs> at, at the first few games, it was real high stakes for, for all of my siblings watching. But by about game seven or eight, my sister, Rachel, who is very competitive, she played D1 soccer. She was, you know, super, super nervous for the few, first few games. She was like, you know, I, I feel bad for some of these opponents. She's like, I'm not rooting against you, but everyone out there is, is playing and they all deserve their chance too. So my siblings are, they're very <laughs> nice people and they're very supportive of me, but even they were tired of me after like seven or eight games. Oh my goodness. What would it have been like if you were Ken Jennings? They would have been turning off the television, I I would guess. have been disowned at that point. All right. Well, good thing you only went 21. <laughs> yeah. Often in your wagers, you would use Heather's birthday. We came to learn that February 21st was Heather's birthday. 221 came up a lot in your wagering and scoring. And then here comes February 21st. Even Jeopardy is like posting about the day. What was it like for Heather to celebrate a birthday that had, you know, probably been recognized by you in the past, but maybe not to this level? I have to know what that first celebration was like. It was really nice. It was nice to see that post from Jeopardy and the social media people. And she really got a kick out of it. She got messages from her friends and family <laughs> who, who were pointing it out. And it's, it's really nice for Jeopardy to have done that. And she really enjoyed it and got to celebrate a nice birthday with thousands of people who do not know her personally. For those of you who didn't see it, there was a picture of Chris and it said Happy 221 and it said somewhere in Ocean City, New Jersey, a bunny named Lentils and a boy named Chris are celebrating the best day of the year. So 
That was funny. You know, James did the same thing when he was playing. He would often put his anniversary in there. He would put his daughter's birthday and like these little nuggets. But, you know, you don't know until after the fact if that's something that someone in your family is going to like. So I'm glad to hear that it was well received by Heather. Me too. <laughs> yeah, you had to go home and be like, just so you know, I talked about you and your birthday a few times in my 21 games. <laughs> so as it's happening and you're building up these stats and we have this famous leaderboard of legends and you're going up the ranks, you're surpassing these Jeopardy legends. What's it like as that's unfolding? There really is not any time to think about it because it happens so fast, <laughs> even sure. with that two-month gap. Mm-hmm. and stopping at 11 games. At that point, I was I was at 10 games, so I was already at a really good level. But then going back to the studio, it was, all right, that's win 12. All right, that's win 13. All right, that's win 14. And so you don't have a chance to reflect. It's just, all right, get changed, 15 minutes back out next game. And so you just have to take it as it comes, and you only get to reflect at the end. And so at the end, I was just thinking about it, and 20 wins has only been accomplished seven times with Julia Collins, I guess? Yes, you are sixth place behind Matea Roach. And then Julia Collins has 20. Exactly, yes. yes. So that's, I mean, we've been in the era of going past five wins for 20 years now, and to be in the top six is ridiculous and (laughs) I don't think I'll ever truly be able to conceptualize how rare it is but I'm I'm definitely thankful that it happened well and then you're even higher for you know highest winnings in the regular season you're number five I mean nearly three quarters of a million dollars you earned yeah of all the 10 game winners I am third in per game winnings so it's James it's Matt and then it's me and then a little little guy called Ken Jennings That's always fun to say in Jeopardy stats as well. Did you do anything fun with all that money? I mean, anything fun and exciting or is it all just nicely invested? It's all nicely invested. I live a pretty (laughs) fun life, but I'm not a a risk taker. I'm not a thrill seeker. So most of the nice things are going to restaurants or, or spending time with Heather. So it's not a reckless life that I live. Yeah, only on the Alex Trebek stage. You talked about that in your initial run. You know, I don't take risks. And we're like, you just wager thousands of dollars in a matter of seconds. But that is not a risk to you, I guess. Yeah, you have to take some risks. But the, the bigger risk is not taking the risk at all on the Jeopardy stage. You have to take risks if you want to win. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. In one of your games, you earned, I think it was, you know, almost $72,000 within 30 minutes. It's not bad for a half hour's work, huh? No, not at all. That is one of the games I think I could have been more aggressive on. I could have bet more in Final Jeopardy. I could have bet. I found all three daily doubles. I could have bet aggressively on the two latter ones. I could have finished with six figures maybe in that game. Uh, I'm not complaining, but I think when I look back at some of my regrets, that's that's one of them. I would have loved to have hit six figures in a game. Well, and then you look at someone like James Holtzauer, who had so many. I mean, I think he holds like 12 of, you know, the highest one-game totals. And he was probably our most aggressive player in the past. So to know how you played, which was pretty aggressive, but then to know how much more aggressively you have to play to really get that six-figure total, it, it says a lot about gameplay. Yeah, I believe his average score is higher than all of my, <laughs> even my highest score. So I mean, people say James Holtzauer broke the game of Jeopardy, but if you know all of the answers, which James basically does, <laughs> it's going to be really hard to beat him. And it's that's not something you can easily replicate. You can't just go on Jeopardy and bet really high on every question, unless you know almost every question, right. which very few people do. And James James knows more than almost anyone else. Well, you got to meet James because, as many people know, you were our alternate for Masters. We gave you the call. We said, hey, please come out to Los Angeles. Be our alternate. The way that this you know, competition is structured, if we don't put you in the first day, we won't be able to add you subsequently because of the point system. But what was that experience like? Masters was like a dream, too. Even without getting to play, getting to meet James and Sam <laughs> and Matt and Andrew, Amy, Matea. I was just there trying to keep the mood light. <laughs> and so I was just trying to, you know, crack some jokes, laugh at Sam's jokes, tell Matt how much I enjoy Yale as a university, just trying to <laughs> trying to keep the mood light. And I, th- I think I think I did a pretty good job of that. It was a really great experience. They're all awesome people. See, this is when your jovial joking side can really come out because you don't have to be on the stage competing. Exactly. Everyone there seemed way, way more you know, upbeat and open and, and ready to, you know, be happy than I would have been. I would probably would have been a little tighter and and more tense. I mean, they didn't need me there. They were just as happy-go-lucky as they probably otherwise would have been. And what was it like for you then to watch Masters at home? You know, you saw the beginning, you didn't see the culmination, but what was it like to have been there and then to see how it all played out? It was really incredible. The Andrew and Matea tiebreaker moment, and then the finals with James just barely squeaking out the win. It ended up being really incredible drama. And I'm, I'm glad that the first edition of Masters sort of lived up to what it could have been. And hopefully next year does as well. Yeah, we're excited about that. Going back to the end of your initial run, your last game, you go up against Andy Terrell, it was a game, nine lead changes between the two of you within that game. And I still don't know how Andy did the comeback that he did going from negative 2000 to winning the game. What was that game like? Obviously a very different game than you had played in the 21 previous games. It felt like a pretty standard game through the Jeopardy round. And then I missed the first daily double in double Jeopardy, which put me down pretty bad. Uh, and then Andy found the third one, and I was in even worse shape. Then I had to crawl myself out of the hole, and I passed Andy on the very last question of the game, which I remember 
I, I remember looking at the question and not fully processing it, but knowing I had to ring in on it. And I rang mm-hmm. in on it and I read it again and again. And then I finally responded to Ken. I believe the answer was Helsinki. And I got it and I was like, all right, great. And then I didn't really take into account the fact that I needed to get Final Jeopardy right as well, which I did <laughs> not. I remember that game being really tense the whole time, which a lot of my games were, but this one just ended up a little bit differently. Well, and I think James, once again, pointing out that you both ended your run with a Shakespeare category. James had wagered thirteen ninety nine in his game. You had ended with thirteen ninety nine. The similarities, they just don't stop. No, just keep them coming. Hopefully uh, <laughs> I win my tournament of champions and masters just like James did. There you go. Well, that is what's next. So you leave us on that day, but you know you're coming back. And what's that like for a contestant? You know, obviously, once you secure that fifth game, you know this isn't going to be your last chance on the Alex Trebek stage. What's it like knowing you have a guaranteed invitation back? I mean, I was thrilled just to be able to go to the studio once for a single tape day and play in a single episode. But now I've had 22 games over six tape days and then going back for Masters. Every time I go out there, it's sort of like a childhood dream re-accomplished and relived. Knowing that I get to go back again is really just, again, it's a dream come true. And uh, I know it'll be harder this time because everyone out there for the Tournament of Champions is really, really good. And I, I am looking forward to the challenge. It was actually Ben Chan who brought up to us, you know, we may not have as many of these super champions in the mix, but if you look at our stats, many would say are better than a lot of the competition in last year's Tournament of Champions. So you've got some tough competition to face. Is there anyone in particular that you are nervous about or anything that you're going to do differently in your strategy of preparing? Uh, I think there are maybe some incremental improvements I can make and I'll hopefully make those but like Ben said everyone there is really good and a lot of people probably could have won 10 games or more this year when you think about how they lost Troy ran into Jake Deruta who's really really good Hannah ran into Ben Ben (laughs) lost by misspelling a single letter Luigi lost because he didn't wager enough on a question he got right so Mm -hmm. all of these people who were really really good and who I'm sort of dreading playing, but also looking forward (laughs) to, they all went out in a way that's just, you know, Jeopardy's a minefield and you never know when you're going to step on that mine and you never know when, you know, your next opponent is Troy or Yogesh or Jake Mm -hmm. or Ben Chan. You know, there's always another potential super champion waiting for you. Well, last year in the Tournament of Champions, we unveiled the new format, and we plan to follow that through with the finals this year, where it's not that two-game total point affair. You have the first to three wins. How do you feel about that format? Do you think that's going to give you an advantage if you make it to the finals? I think so. I think it depends on who I play. Um, Sure. But I like the format for a couple of reasons. I think it does take out a little bit of the variance, so I think the best person will win more often. And I think it also helps to have America get to meet the contestants a little bit better. Um, I think the reason that America was able to fall in love with Amy and especially Andrew and Sam, because Amy had had a long run, but Mm -hmm. they got to see Andrew and Sam for an additional six games and, and really get to see their personalities a little bit more. And I think that, you know, Jeopardy for as much as it is a quiz game, people also sort of fall in love with the personalities as, as well. 
Absolutely. I think Masters showed us that because, you know, these contestants had been able to play more games. They had been together more. And so they were able to really enjoy the experience in a way that we hadn't seen before. And that camaraderie between the six of them was so fun to watch. And I think that that, you know, did begin to form in the TOC with that finals and with those six games. The TOC was always the pinnacle of Jeopardy excellence. But now you win that and you know you're headed to Masters. So what's that like for someone heading into the TOC, that North Star that's even farther from the biggest goal, which is to win the TOC? It's exciting. I would obviously be playing to win the the Tournament of Champions anyway, but (laughs) to know that there's a continuous tournament, the highest level to get to, it adds a little bit more pressure, which I accept with all of my heart. I feel like you thrive on pressure. I don't know. Maybe it's just an instinct. I guess so. I I feel like in my day-to-day life, I do not thrive on pressure. But maybe when I get under the lights and it it really comes down to it, maybe I do. Well, Buzzy's not here for this interview, but I'm going to ask Buzzy's top two questions. Yours, for the first one, we kind of already know. He asks, you know, what is your lunch order when you're on the Sony lot? You always talked about the salad with chickpeas and chicken and a banana on the side. Is that going to stay true when you come back for the TOC? Are you going to change it up or is that the go-to? I'm going to continue eating the absolute blandest food I, I can find <laughs> on the Sony lot. I don't know how people like James Holtower can do it, who I think famously was eating slices oh, yeah. of pizza. Pepperoni pizza I, no, and soda. I would, if, if I were I eating slices of pizza, you would find me dead behind the first podium after game four. So yeah, just <laughs> a lot of bland foods and maybe a Diet Coke. We know there will not be any olives. We remember that. I mean, if you can remove all of the olives from the commissary in advance, I would really appreciate it. (laughs) We'll see what we can do. One more question. What is the Jeopardy stat? You've got a lot of great ones, but what's the one that you're most proud of? I think I'll give you two. When I played my game and during my run, I was the second oldest 10-game winner of all time. So (laughs) Ray uh, quickly surpassed me, and I'm now the third oldest. But I believe that's true. I believe I'm still the third oldest 10-game winner of all time. So if they have a Jeopardy senior tour, I'll make my bid for that. And then my other one would be in my one of my latter wins was Annie Brown, a really, really good player, had the highest ever Jeopardy score to be locked out at Final Jeopardy. So when the game finished, she had 19,400. And I had 39,800. So not only was like I winning games, but I was winning games against really good people like Zanny Brown and Matt Harvey and Mike Elliott. Like these people were, they were putting up $20,000 against me and I was just barely fighting them off every time. So those sorts of wins make my streak feel a lot more special. Well, your streak was special to us for many reasons and we cannot wait to see you back on the Alex Trebek stage. It's going to be good, Chris. It's going to be good. I eagerly anticipate it. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the pod, and we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. So great catching up with Chris. Looking forward to seeing him back in the TOC. And that wraps up our special interview series. I've had such a great time speaking with our Jeopardy! Masters, kicking off with James. We had that great interview with him right after he took home the Masters trophy and the big prize. And then we talked with our other Jeopardy! Masters throughout the summer. We talked to some season 39 standouts, and I hope you've enjoyed all of our conversations. If you've been watching our Jeopardy! reruns the past few weeks, you probably saw last week the infamous 
TOC exhibition game. You got to hear Ken Jennings get bleeped, and you also got to see Amy Schneider, Matamodio, and Matea Roach. Well, as a result of all the great feedback we've been receiving next Monday for our Labor Day holiday, we're going to air one of our bonus podcast episodes where I had the chance to break that game down with Amy, Matt, and Matea, all the behind the scenes stories. So please enjoy that encore pod. And in the meantime, subscribe to the podcast, rate us, leave us a comment, share across social and follow us at Jeopardy on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, on TikTok, on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. And send us your questions to Inside Jeopardy Podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week.